Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. This is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. This podcast and the bonus content we've been able to provide during the week is made possible thanks to our patrons. Please join me in welcoming and thanking new patrons. Lorelai, James Jarvis, Selena Rhodes, Kyle Anderson, Wiley Rollins, Trixie Brown, Stephanie Davidson, May Pasolino, Sarah, Megan Wick, Red Scary Ninja, Stacy Ray, Nicole Antoinette Del Rosario, T.W. Grimm, Terry Crows, Jenny Lee Dobertine, Danielle Anderson, Tara Elizabeth, Whitley Stivison, Michael Delwing, Jessica Finch, John N., at no underscore genius, Angelica Gardner, Tyler Furman, Cortez, Spitfire Kristen, Kevin Newman, Giggles, Mark Fuller, John Carpy, Sarah Leeton, Jameson W., Karen Rose Himberger, Sheng and the Wanderlust, Jessica Mabry, Chef Randy, Fat Ghostbuster, Colin Lamond, Tarek Atkinson, and Mandy Hendricks. Our patrons mean everything to us, and we do all we can to give back for their generosity, as you may have noticed during the week. Starting for as little as $1 a month, our reward tiers include bonuses like early commercial-free access to all episodes, shoutouts, weekly Patreon bonus episodes, immediate access to our entire back catalog of almost 500 Patreon-exclusive bonus episodes, coffee cups, t-shirts, and logo hoodies. If you'd like to see how you can support the podcast and get rewarded for doing so, Please check out our reward here at patreon.com slash creepypod. And a quick thank you to all our listeners during this. This podcast is a bit one-sided in that it's just me speaking most of the time, but I really do appreciate interacting with listeners on social media or email or on the Patreon page. We're working really hard to provide all the content we can during this week on top of our normal Sunday and Patreon schedule. And hearing words of support really means a lot. And it's not just me and the crew that appreciates it. Thank you for listening. No. This is Creepy, a podcast dedicated to sharing the most famous, chilling, and disturbing creepy pastas and urban legends in the world. Whether these stories truly happened or are simply fabrications is for you to decide. These stories may contain graphic depictions of violence and explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. Creepy Presents He was stored on the E-Row. Written by Courtney Valerie. With guest narration by Danielle Hewitt, Steve Blizzen, and Nicole Goodnight. Yeah. 
If you are reading this account, it means that I have included you amongst those I trust to do what is right in the event of my sudden disappearance. I am safe for the moment. At least, until the inevitable happens. My options are grim. And I'm not sure whether I prefer them finding me, or that thing finding its way here first. I don't know if I can get it all out in time. And this sweat, fueled by terror, keeps burning my eyes, making it almost impossible to read what I'm typing. As crazy as it may seem, everything you are about to read regarding the events that took place in the early morning hours of January 6th, 2018, are true. Those monsters who call themselves doctors at the Zizix facility need to be held accountable for the events of that night. It may be too late for Ethan and me, but that doesn't mean that they can continue manufacturing the covert nightmares going on behind closed doors. Nobody knows what's out there. Nobody knows what's coming. I started working for the Zizix Research Facility three weeks ago as a yard jockey. I found it a little strange at first that a research facility would need dedicated drivers to haul containers on the property. Surely they could get a better deal hiring a third-party company to move some storage trailers. I mean, how many moves could a facility such as this require in a day? I had not heard of the ZRF up to this point, but I hadn't exactly been looking either. Desperate for work in the stagnant California job market, I pushed these questions to the back of my mind and jumped on the opportunity at an interview. I was surprised to get a call from the ZRF Human Resources Manager just a few days after submitting my application. Hello. Am I speaking with Val McDaniel? Said an authoritative yet monotone voice. I was instantly reminded of one of the agents from the Matrix film and fought to keep my inner smartass from responding with, Yes, I am the one. Catching a glimpse of the stack of past due bills on my disheveled kitchen table, I figured I'd better keep the sarcasm on a short leash. Yes, this is she. I responded with a bit too much eagerness in my voice. I closed my eyes and gritted my teeth in embarrassment. Too many years in the retail industry had led to the existence of customer service, Val. And she still reared her ugly head from time to time. Ah, oh, Miss McDaniel. I am Winston Fink, HR manager at Zizek Research Facility. We received your application and are quite impressed with your resume. It's not often that we see female applicants who are qualified or even interested in the yard driver position. The voice continued in a bemused tone. Before I got a chance to speak, Fink abruptly cut in. We are prepared to extend the job offer to you. I paused for a long moment. But I, I haven't... Don't, don't you need to interview me first? I said, tripping over the words as they exited my lips. We here at ZRF take the hiring process very seriously. We see that you've passed extensive background checks in the past, and we went ahead and cross-referenced that with our own check. 
Fink said with a hint of boredom in his already robotic voice. Think of this as your interview, which, to me, seems to have been a success, considering I just offered the position to you. Not wanting to offend the man, or seeming ungrateful, I blurted out a, yes sir, and a thank you. I was not too pleased with the sexist undertone of his comments, but I was desperate and willing to swallow my pride. I inquired about the pay and the schedule, and I was elated to hear that I was needed on site as soon as possible since they were short a driver, with only one remaining in the yard. The schedule was three 12-hour shifts, Saturday through Monday from 5 p.m. to 5 a.m. Not an ideal time frame, but the pay was excellent. And if anyone could have seen my reaction to the figures, they would have practically seen the dollar signs reflected in my bloodshot eyeballs. We look forward to having you join our facility. I hope you find it more suitable than the last few drivers. Fink trailed off at the end, almost speaking to himself more than me. Before I got a chance to ask him what he meant, I heard a click on the other end and he was gone. I glanced at the time, 8.45am. I set out a pile of fresh clothes, hopped in the shower, and jumped into bed to prepare for the first overnight shift at ZRF. My alarm blared and jolted me awake after what seemed like just an hour or two of sleep. I shuffled like a Romero-esque zombie and got myself together for work. After a quick Google search to get my direction straight, I set out on Interstate 15 through the Mojave Desert toward my destination. After driving for what seemed like an eternity on a two-lane road off the interstate, the facility came into view in the distance. The size of the property was expansive and intimidating. It reminded me more of a military base than a research facility. After signing in at the gate, I ventured into the front of the facility and was greeted by what I assumed to be a human resource employee. I say assumed, as the man did not speak more than a few words to me other than Sign these papers and you're good to go outside. Pretty straightforward and to the point, huh? I chuckled as he flicked a swipe card at me. He did not react to my comment and remained stone-faced before turning on his heels and disappearing down one of the clinically bright hallways. The building was like a ghost town. Although I was not too surprised as it was a Saturday and only two days before Christmas. When I opened the door to head outside... I bumped right into a man coming in. He was as surprised as I was. The man stood about six feet tall, wearing a light blue work shirt with long sleeves and a pair of worn-out jeans. His jeans were so worn that I could distinctly make out the line of a can of Skull Chew in his right front pocket. I noted the name Ethan, stitched into the upper right corner of his work shirt. I take it you're my new driver? said Ethan with a grin as he eyed me up and down with his hands on his hips. I examined his face as he evaluated my appearance. I would say he was in his early sixties, judging by his tired red eyes, and the light-colored hair that poked out from beneath his baseball cap. Although his eyes were bloodshot and tired, they had a distinct kindness to them, like the shape of a person's eyes when they smile, but only natural in his case. You got it. I said as I playfully placed my hands on my hips, mimicking his initial movements. Oh, a smartass, huh? You and I are going to get along just fine. Ethan chuckled as he waved for me to follow him outside. 
My name's Val, by the way, I said as I trailed behind him. I was surprised by the speed at which Ethan navigated the yard. He was an older man, but he still had quite the pep in his step. He showed me to a row of yard trucks and told me I can choose between any of the five, except for the truck labeled number three, which he lovingly referred to as my girl. The first half of the shift was smooth sailing. Ethan showed me the ropes and how to navigate the rows in the yard. I was shocked to see just how many rows there were. The rows were labeled alphabetically from A to E. The first four rows contained trailers that had various company supply logos. The E row, however, housed containers that were wider and longer than the others and had no distinguishing marks on them. Each trailer was a flat back and had a refrigeration unit attached. Another unique aspect of the E row was that it was darker than the other rows and contained a steel structure in which the trailer sat underneath. Now, when I say darker, I don't mean just a little harder to see. It was pitch dark, and there were absolutely no artificial lights lining the entirety of the row. The first call for one of the E-Row trailers came in at around 3 a.m. I could see on my monitor that all the E-Row calls were going strictly to Ethan and not to me. It was around this time that Ethan's demeanor changed. His smiling eyes had retired, replaced with massive agitation. Thinking he must be tired from the long hours, I offered to pitch in, figuring it might improve his mood. I was wrong. I lifted the CB radio mic to my mouth and said, Hey, Ethan. Want me to help knock out those E-Rows? I think... And before I could finish my sentence, Ethan cut me off. No. And Val, listen to me. I know you've been a yard jockey before, but these trailers are different from anything you've ever had to handle. They're difficult to maneuver, and I don't want you getting in over your head. So you listen to me. You let me handle these calls. And if you, for whatever reason, get an E-Row call, reject it. And it will get kicked to me. Do you understand? Ethan scolded. Several emotions hit me at once. I was shocked embarrassed, and a little more than angry. How could Ethan talk to me like that? I mean, we didn't know each other too well, considering this was our first shift working together, but that does not give him the right to bark at me this way. There was a long moment of radio silence while I composed myself. My voice tends to shake when I'm upset, and I'd be damned if I would let a man who already thinks I can't adequately do a job detect any womanly emotion in my voice. Ten four, I replied, not wanting to push the issue. I looked at the monitor and realized that the remaining calls were all designated for Eero. Just as I was about to bring this up to Ethan, he spoke over the radio. Reverting to his kind tone from earlier in the evening, Ethan said, Hey Val, why don't you call it a night? I've got it handled from here. Plenty of work for us tomorrow night, and... I want you adjusted to these hours. Alright, Ethan. I think I'll take you up on that. I am getting a little sleepy, and I do have quite a commute. Hello, Bill Band here from the All 80s Movies Podcast to tell you about Factor Meals. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, 
Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get your 50% off today. I sighed. I drove home trying to figure out this puzzle of a man. What caused his feathers to ruffle so easily? I chalked it up to him being a cranky old man. In the nights leading up to January 6th, I noted a pattern in Ethan's behavior. I would look forward to our lunch hour together, as he was witty and always made me laugh. However, any talk of family was a sore subject for Ethan. I made the mistake of inquiring about his wife after I noticed his weathered wedding band that stood out on his rough, dirty hands. I... I had a wife. Her name was Winnie. She... I lost her. Let's talk about something else. Actually, I I think it's about time we get back outside. Ethan gathered his things and put them into his lunch bag, his smiling eyes diminishing into distant sadness. I followed Ethan outside, back to the nightly grind. Toward the end of the shift, when the E-roll call started to come in, I would return my truck to the parking area. One evening, I parked my truck on the edge of Eero, killed the engine and the lights, and watched Ethan. There was one trailer that he would connect to for more extended period than others. I watched his shadow descend the truck stairs and walk around the back of a container. He would remain back there in the dark for 10 to 15 minutes, ascend the stairs, and pull the trailer out toward its assigned door. On the evening of January 5th, 2018, I decided to invite Ethan to an early morning breakfast after work. I told him that I wouldn't take no for an answer, and that it wouldn't hurt to have a late Christmas breakfast since we both worked through the holiday. He hesitated, and with a smile forming at the edge of his mouth, agreed to breakfast. I am for it, as long as you let me pay. I know some of you gals are all about being independent, but I'm still old-fashioned. Well, just old in general, he said with a chuckle. I sure am glad you stuck around the last few weeks. Unlike those other guys who couldn't follow simple instructions. They all ran off during the first week, Ethan said, shaking his head. The night seemed to drag on as I looked forward to having a hearty breakfast with my new friend. He might be complicated but I sure did enjoy his company. As usual, the calls for Eero came in, and I sat back while Ethan took care of them. Finishing up faster than usual, Ethan pulled up alongside my truck and asked if I was ready to head out. I smiled and nodded in agreement. All right, I gotta hit the john before we get out of here. They're working on the pavement where we usually park, so you'll have to park right down there. Ethan said, pointing toward the B-Row. With a sense of urgency, Ethan hopped down from his truck and made his way to the bathroom inside. I laughed to myself and turned the truck around to head toward the parking area. 
Just as I was nearing B-Row, a call appeared on my screen. It was a call for E-Row. A call for Ethan's E-Row trailer, to be exact. A sly smile crept across my face and my eyes narrowed. I'm gonna show that old man that I'm more capable than he realizes, I whispered to myself. I moved toward the E-Row with haste and connected the trailer. As I raised the fifth wheel, I noticed the usual clanking that accompanies trailers equipped with airbags. I began to haul the trailer away from the E-Row to its assigned door. While I drove, I noticed that the clanking noise started to sound more like bang. And before I was able to stop the truck, an inhuman screech began to emit from inside the container. I threw the truck in neutral and applied the brakes and jumped down to the ground. As I approached the back of the trailer, the doors on the end flew open with such force that it caused me to stumble backward and fall flat on my back. I scrambled to my feet and stared in horror at the large, animalistic claws on the inside of the swing doors. While I stood, like a statue, frozen in place, a tiny voice spoke behind me that caused me to nearly jump out of my skin. They locked me in, you know, said the small boy matter-of-factly. Still speechless, I stood and stared, dumbfounded at the whole situation. I noticed that the boy, appearing no more than six years old, did not look quite right. His skin was sallow and full of needle marks. More disturbing than his skin were his eyes. His eyes had no white in them, but instead were utterly black like the night sky above us. The light emanating from my truck glinted off the sea of black that filled his eyes, looking right into my soul. Who, uh... Who, who locked you in? I squeaked, not sure how to address the child. The bad man in the scary building? He said, sounding less like a little boy as the anger began to rise in his small voice. My daddy and mommy brought me here when I was sick, and now they won't let me leave. Mommy tried to take me home, but the bad man made mommy go away. Daddy talks to me every night, but he says he can't let me out or the bad men will take him away like they took mommy. Ethan? I whispered as realization swept over me. Just as I had breathed his name, Ethan appeared in his truck, driving like a madman across the yard. He stumbled out of his truck, landing hard on his knees. What have you done? Ethan sobbed, staring at me with bloodshot and teary eyes. David... Son, you need to get back into your room before they see you outside. Ethan stammered as he picked himself up off the ground. Before Ethan could fully stand, a spotlight came to light and shined directly upon us where we stood. Before I could even gasp in surprise, we were surrounded by men holding guns. All of which were trained on the small boy, David. In a moment of sheer frustration, rage and heartbreak. Ethan charged the nearest man whose gun was aimed at David. Before he came within a swinging distance, a deafening shot ran out, and Ethan stopped dead in his tracks. He dropped to his knees, with eyes full of tears, turned to face me before whispering, Protect him. I flew into hysterics as Ethan fell onto his stomach, 
all movement within him ceasing. The circle of men parted, and a man in a white lab coat stepped over Ethan as he approached David and I. The name on the badge, hanging from his neck, read Dr. Winston Fink. I had such plans for you, Val. I thought that maybe bringing a female into the picture might make David more compliant when we needed to collect our samples, said Fink disappointedly. Sensing my obvious confusion, Fink continued. You see, David here has remained his six-year-old self for the past thirty years. Ethan and his wife, Winnie, tried to hide the boy but sought help when he started to become violent in recent years, letting the cat out of the bag, so to speak. We've been trying to pinpoint what it is in David's blood that allows him to remain young. Can you imagine the opportunity associated with discovering the fountain of youth? The answer lies somewhere in this boy and we won't let anything or anyone get in the way of that," Fink said and gestured toward Ethan's lifeless body. Before we figure out what to do with you, we need to get this boy back into his container, Fink said as he waved a hand ordering his armed men to put David back in the trailer. David turned to me and said, Help me with a voice that sounded like multiple voices of different genders and ages all at once. There was nothing I could do, and I stood frozen in place as the men approached David and grabbed him by the arms. As soon as the men touched David, the ground beneath him began to pulse. A burst of invisible energy sent the men flying in all directions. Fink stood his ground with an amused smile growing at the corner of his lips. As the men raised their weapons to fire, David moved with lightning speed, and before I could even blink my eyes, they all lay dead at David's feet in a pile of unidentifiable gore. The smile faded from Fink's face as David approached him with small steps. Each step David took with his bare feet left bloody footprints behind him on the pavement. David stared hard at Fink for a long moment, and suddenly Fink dropped to his knees, wincing in pain. (coughs) David grabbed a hold of the lanyard around Fink's neck like a leash, and began walking him like a dog toward the facility. (coughs) David stopped suddenly and looked back at me. Stay right here. I will be back for you when I am done. You should have at least tried to help me and my daddy, he said, again with the multiple voices. As soon as David and Fink entered the building, I jumped to my feet and ran as fast as I could until my lungs burned and screamed for a break. I reached my car, shoved the keys in the ignition, and peeled out of the parking area toward the highway. I watched my rearview mirror all the way home expecting to see David gaining on me at inhuman speed. That was four hours ago. I'm hunkered down in my apartment. Why didn't I say something or try to intervene? Why was I chosen by these sickos? To be some kind of freaky mother figure for this thing? I have a feeling that David will reach me before anyone at ZRF. That is, of course, if any of them are still alive. 
All I can think about is how sorry I am. How I always seem to have something to say until the moment arises. When it would do some good in the world. I plan to ask David what's in those other containers. I hope I get an answer. Almost as much as I hope he has mercy and ends me quickly. For more information, including pictures and videos of the stories told on this podcast, or to suggest stories for future episodes, please visit us at CreepyPod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or email us at CreepyPod at gmail.com. All stories told on this podcast can be found at creepypastawikia.com and are protected by a Creative Commons license. Some rights reserved unless otherwise stated. The Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Home of Creepy for disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas, SCP archives with full cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from the LGBTQ perspective, the Boo Crew for horror-centric interviews. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts. Item number SCP-5186 SCP-7160 SCP-7533 Object Class Euclid Keter Safe Special Containment Procedures <laughs> Spreading across the hemisphere and kicking up vast amounts of ash and dust <laughs> The only thing I could hear was 7219 <laughs> laughing <laughs> Do you remember your name? Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. I feel them again. Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. They're in my ears! Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. Nobody understands! SCP Archives is a weekly fiction podcast. Each episode, we dive into the strange, the unknown, and the... Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at scparchives.com.